What's up, good people? Michael here, host of the latest political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics, where I am cuckoo and passionate about politics, and I'm sure you are too. You wouldn't be listening. Hey, so with that in mind, grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or spirit or two. We'll talk about the hot topics that matter to you. Let's get started. When someone is sworn into a public position, think of politicians, judges, persons serving in the military, and or members of law enforcement. They are not only accepting the responsibilities that comes with the said job, but what also is bestowed upon them is the public trust. The oath that these individuals make is a sacred trust between the office holder and the public. It is to be revered and not to be abused. It is so important that the public must have every bit of confidence that the individual and or the system works for the benefit of everyone and not the few. On May 25th, 2020, convicted Minneapolis officer Derek Chauvin brutally killed George Floyd. The incident captured on video and in real time erupted a series of nationwide and global protests but also ignited a continuing conversation of an ongoing race problems in America of another unarmed African-Americans being killed in the hands of police. In this podcast discussion, I talk with Mount Pocono Borough Council President Claudette Williams, who was my guest in the premiere episode of Cuckoo for Politics. As you recall, she is a retired Sergeant Major of the U.S. Army and a mother of two daughters and a son who serves both in the U.S. military, police, and a police officer serving in the city of Atlanta. She will bring her perspectives of what the verdict meant to her and its implications to society as a whole. Joining me too in this conversation is my reoccurring guest and fellow alum who has participated in various episodes, particularly in our raw and uncut discussions, is Sam Jean. He will share both his legal and political insights on the verdict. Once again, welcome to another episode of Kuka for Politics, and let's learn something together. What's up, good people? Thank you for downloading this episode of Kuka for Politics. To our first-time listeners, welcome. To those who are subscribing, thank you again, and so much appreciated. Which reminds me, I would be remiss if I didn't ask my first-time listeners that you subscribe to Cuckoo for Politics on either Spotify, Apple, Google, or Anchor, or wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Now, let me jump into our conversation with Claudette and Sam. Let me take you back. On April 21st, the world, this nation as a whole, was waiting with bated breath when they announced that a verdict was in. It reminded me of a time back in the 90s when O.J. Simpson, when the announcement of O.J. Simpson's verdict was in, people were finding themselves in front of a television or the radio. Same thing happened on April 21st, this time with smart devices. Why do you think the verdict, when it was announced, guilty in all three charges, people were relieved, why do you think this case was followed by so many 
and people were relieved. Sam? I, I think the answer to your question is really simple. Uh, people saw in real time what happened. There was a video of the incident, and it was pretty raw. Um, I didn't watch it. I did not watch the video. Uh, I refused to watch it. I know what happened on the video. I followed the transcripts, but I didn't watch it. But I think that um, because it was seen, it resonated differently. And interestingly enough, this week, uh, CNN released this report of what initially the Minneapolis Police Department said about the encounter with George Floyd. They basically wrote it that there was an encounter and someone died during the encounter. Someone had a medical emergency during the encounter. That's how they talked about it. But if it wasn't on videotape, and, and, and as much as we've become desensitized to things, it is awfully difficult to watch a person die right in front of your eyes. I, I can agree to that. And I'll have to say, even when the trial began, it was difficult to watch that video all over again because it brought up raw emotions. Um, Claudette, you and I participated in various Black Lives Matter protests that happened in our town. And um, what do you make of why do you think this resonated so much more than others? Because when we walked through the streets, it was not just largely Black people. It was so diverse, even young white children that would just say their name, shouting, Black Lives Matter. I mean, what makes you think why this this uh, the incident that took place, um, George Floyd, resonated so much more than any other um, racial profile um, police incident? Um, just like um, Sam stated, is the fact that we were able to see it happen. You know, we were able to see it happen and um, and realize that at the moment this um, incident took place, there were people there that were um, calling out to this police officer to ease up, to let him go. And the arrogancy in which he, he stood on his neck, you know, it, it, it just touches the heart of no matter if you were black, white, brown, Yellow. It doesn't matter what your your race was. You have you you were connected to it, just to see what happened, and that even though people were reaching out to him, say, "Stop, get off," he's not breathing. That he he kept his knee on his neck, and so I, I think that's why when we went out to march, there were so many people that came out. I mean, you have your issues with race, but you know that situation in itself really connect us and, and join us all together and saying, you know, regardless of what happened, he's a human being, you know, and we can't, we can't just let this go. So you, you would probably both agree that people who are not of our skin color saw themselves in that situation where a police officer um, was on the neck of an individual. Would you agree to that? Yes, I'd agree. Now, this comes after, though. Think about it. We're, this was, he was, the police were called to that store because of a counterfeit $20 bill. And I think that was the way the police were called upon. 
and they were they took it to the next level. I don't see a reason why they had to do what they did, but what do you make of this, Sam, in regards to the fact that they David Tro is it David Chauvin or Derek Chauvin? Derek. Derek. Derek Chauvin. You know, they the in the court proceedings they were showing clips of early and inter, earlier interactions, and th that was what the lawyer for the defense were saying that we that's the reason why Officer Chauvin had to take the next step because he was resisting or that because he had drugs in his system. Um, but we looked on that video. It didn't seem like he was resisting. But um, putting on your legal hat, what do you make of that? I make of it that every criminal defendant in this country is entitled to representation. And every person who gets representation is entitled to be zealously represented by their lawyer. I don't particularly have a problem as a lawyer with the defense trying to defend Chauvin. That's not my quarrel. They have the right to try to defend Chauvin. But one of the things that they tried to do is to tell people that you didn't see what you thought you saw. Mm -hmm. okay? and, and when you can convince people that this thing that you saw, I remember I was in law school when the Rodney King verdict happened, um, or I, I, was, I was on my way to law school. And one of the things that I heard someone say, and it stuck with me all these years is, you can desensitize people to a situation if you can slow down their perception of what's happening and explaining it to them, okay? And so what happened is the jury saw the cops beating Rodney King, but they slowed the video down. They were, they, they were counting hits. They didn't, they didn't see it as a complete picture. That gave them enough room to explain and say, okay, that's not really excessive force. This defense tried to, they, they tried to do the same thing but they didn't have a consistent argument. If you think about it, one argument is that he's high on drugs and he's Superman, okay? <laughs> and the, the other argument is, well, he's got a weak heart, okay? Another argument that they try to bring in is, is maybe he was sniffing carbon monoxide while Derek Chauvin was, was on his neck. None of those arguments made sense, but, but this is where I think the defense is successful from a political perspective is months, year, a year removed from it, I found that more people were willing to give Derek Chauvin the benefit of the doubt, whereas a year ago they weren't willing to do that. And that's because they've had time to sit with this video and slow it down, and they've heard things about Floyd. So people who wanted an excuse to support the police officer found a, a perfect excuse. Because I tell you this, if he were tried uh, last July, nobody would be nervous about whether or not he would be convicted. Because people were, people were still, it was so fresh and still there. And like you said, white people look at it and go, no one should be treated that way. 
And Claudette, um, I have to say, when we, when we uh, again, uh, this bring back the vivid images of us protesting. Uh, I, and I know when you went in front of a crowd and describing, because you have a unique perspective, not only um, as a mother, but you, your son is a police officer. Um, and it, it struck a chord with you when you saw those images and immediately you thought of, of course, all your children, but you were thinking of your son who's in the front lines um, day to day. Um, how do you, how did you feel about this whole, uh, the court proceedings and did images of your son come up from time to time? You know, I remember when this all happened and um, we were out protesting and I, I will tell you when it first happened, I was very scared. I was scared for my children, my girls and my, my girls and my, my son, but I was more scared for my son as a black man. Um, even though I know he wore the uniform, he wore the blue, but my fear always was once he takes that uniform off, he was just another black man. And even as you can see in, in, in several incidents, even when they have the uniform on, the color of their skin doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make, it doesn't matter that they're a part of the blue, you know? Um, and so that creates such a fear in me um, and knowing that my friend, my son was out on the front line, I know um, when people looked at him, I, I remember seeing a clip from CNN where he was on the front line and he got hit with a stone. And he's a black man, but because he was wearing that blue, that he was now considered one of the, the evil individual, you know, the police officers. You know, so either, I'm, I'm fearful on both sides. I'm fearful that he's a black man and without his uniform, he's just a regular black man. And I'm fearful that the fact that he is a black man that wears the uniform, that they will think of him as how some people portray um, police officers, that he will be, you know, looked upon at the same in the same way. So it, that fear that's right there, you know, as a mom is saying, what is going? What is happening? You know, and we have to come to some kind of agreement. I, I recently read something where someone said with with um the, the 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 verdict saying that a drop of justice but we need more to, a drop of justice but we need a flood you know and then so i i thought about that and saying that's what we need this is a start right here you know but as a mom getting up every day about it and thinking about your children you know um it's very it's very hard and it's very very fearful especially when he's on both sides of the coin What's interesting, listening to both of you, you raise a couple of um, comments in my head. When you talk about Rodney King and the fact that we all, the world saw what took place, yet they were acquitted, I believe, and then they started the whole LA riot. And then fast forward to today, people were just waiting when they announced that the jury has reached a decision. I think no matter where you are, were, um, people were just gasping. They did not know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And Sam, you said it took a year. People, you know, had to um, saw the images and dissected it and so forth like that. I think we all held our breath because, again, it was flashback to Rodney King. Are they going to quit him? Because it seems like the that the jury because we never got, we never, the police never seemed to 
got held accountable for their actions. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and then you mentioned something too, Claudette, about the son, your son wearing a uniform. It doesn't matter if he wears a uniform or doesn't wear the uniform. We all recall, but just a few weeks ago, Army Lieutenant Nazario, yeah. who was bears, I mean, um, pepper sprayed, he wore the uniform and it didn't matter. They still um, treated him this way. We'll start with you, Claudette, and then followed up by Sam. Um, you, you mentioned about that lieutenant, and I must say that hit home really, really hard. When I saw what happened, I heard about it before I actually uh, saw the clipping. And they said a, a, a military person, but not realizing that he was in uniform. So when I saw that clipping and realized this, this young man was in uniform, this is a young man that stood up and raised his right hand and saying, I will defend the Constitution. He will defend this country. He will live his life on the line for this country. He will fight in domestic and foreign war to protect this country and to see what they did to him. When they saw him, regardless of the uniform, that green uniform that he wore, that desert colored uniform that he wore, that spoke so loudly that he belonged to the military, they did not see that. They saw a minority. They saw a young black man. And you know what I, when I saw that, what I said? It's killing time. That's all I could refer. It's killing time. We have no respect no longer for the uniforms, you know, and that's what I spoke about with my son too. And the military guy, we have no respect for the uniform. It's just about who you are. Yeah, it, 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 and that's it troubling. is very troubling indeed. When we come back, we're going to get Sam Jean's perspective on the incident, as well as continue our conversation on Google for Politics. to another episode of Cuckoo for Politics. I'm here with my guests, Claudette Williams and Sam Jean. We were talking earlier about the incident that took place with Lieutenant Nazario in West Virginia, in Virginia, sorry, when he was in uniform, if you recall, that he was being pulled over by the police because they could not clearly see his license plate. And because the car was so new that he had a temporary license plate. So he was, he did exactly what we're all conditioned or trained to do, especially if you're a black person, is to go to a well-lit area, um, make sure your hands are visible to the law enforcement and provide all the necessary documentations. But despite that, even though he wore the uniform, and he clearly articulated, how can I help you? What is wrong? Why are you pulling me over? These are basic questions that anyone would ask. Um, it did not matter. The police took it to the next level. And again, we have another racially profiling incident that took place. And Claudette, in our earlier discussion, you talked about how it was personal with you because you're a woman who was in uniform and it looked it appeared to you again that regardless of uniform or not uniform they still see us as a black individual and automatically go on fear did you want to add to that comment before i get sam's um, perspective on this um you know like i stated before it's 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 very troubling you know because 
um, just by putting on that uniform, he is he has made a sacrifice, you know, and he has promised to protect this country and hoping that this country would protect him, you know, and uniform and uniform. The police officers wearing uniform, he's wearing a uniform, but there's absolutely no respect, and not because of the uniform, but because of who he is and the color of his skin. You know, and, and, and my son is in that same situation. He wears a police uniform, but he also wears that military uniform as a reserve military police. So, you know, either way you, you take it, he's, he's in the line of fire. That's how I look at it. Sam, your perspective? Well, I mean, I, I, we're, we're always so, so serious here. Um, and when I saw the video, I, I, I chuckled a bit, not because I thought it was funny, but Michael, when I say this, I know you're going to agree with me. The way the police stopped him reminded me of the number of times where cops stopped me for no legitimate reason mm -hmm. and how they behaved when they realized they stopped me for no legitimate reason. And I knew they stopped me for no legitimate reason. Okay? Because here's the funny thing. A lot of people don't know this. For example, if the cops are chasing you and you run from them, okay, that's a misdemeanor, fleeing the police. That's a misdemeanor. It's not even a felony thing. Because people say, hey, he didn't pull over exactly when the police asked him to pull over. He's not fleeing them. He's not running. He's just looking for a safe place to pull over. And if the cops had not been profiling him, because, because not seeing his tags is the reason that they have to give for having stopped him, because they can't say, hey, we saw a black guy in a really nice car in this neighborhood, so we followed him. So they have to say something like, your taillight is out. This week, somebody got stopped because the air freshener that hangs that people put in their cars, cops stopped him for that. And so when I saw that, I chuckled because I said, these cops realize they're in trouble now. Okay? Because one of the first things they say to him is, are you a corporal? <laughs> right? right? Well, are you a corporal? How, how would you, why, is the, why wouldn't you say, where in the military are you? What's your rank? If you wanted to ask someone that. Mm -hmm. Why would you assume, well, he's a corporal? Why? Why why'd you start there? Why didn't you ask him? Are you a captain? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but that's the, the that's not why they stopped him. That's not why they pepper sprayed him. And then if you watch the whole tape, the, the thing that really drives me crazy is they attempt to intimidate him. They know they did something wrong. OK, but they're intimidating him and trying to tell him, hey, listen, you don't want your supervising officer you don't want the army to know what happened here why why wouldn't he want the army to know what happened here he didn't commit any kind of crime but they do that to prevent people from reporting or taking it seriously because michael the number of times i've been stopped by the police now there are times it's perfectly transparent right there are times where the cops stop me i keep my mouth shut because i know i was speeding <laughs> right they pulled me over i said I've given them a reason. And this came from my dad. My dad, my dad always said, don't give the police a reason to pull you over. Don't. Okay. So in my mind, if I've given them a reason to pull me over, I'm not going to talk slick to them. I'm going to be compliant. 
But when I haven't given them a reason to pull me over, I'm still going to be compliant, but I'm going to be a little bit more assertive about why, why they stopped me. And, and once the, the army officer responded in that way, that's when they began to try to intimidate. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm the opposite. Um, and I'm learning <laughs> well, you... to, to be a little more. Um, Come on, Michael. <laughs> say, but I know I remember uh, full disclosure being pulled over by the police. And this is in the Bronx. And he the police officer came and started yelling at me. And I lowered my window and I said, could you lower your voice? He says, excuse me. I said, could you lower your voice? Is that how you address a fellow investor? And he said, excuse me? I said, yes, I'm a taxpayer. I'm in, I invest in community services. This is what you're doing. So you don't raise your voice and yell at an <laughs> yeah. investor. Why am I not surprised? Why am I not surprised? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I just couldn't take that. I'm like, why are you shouting? There's no reason to shout. You just pulled me over for a moving violation. I get it. Again, I'm not a threat. But again, you don't talk to a fellow investor that way. And that's how I approached it, because as a taxpayer, I view it as a fellow investor. Now, granted, I'm glad that the officer saw it comical as well, and he just gave me a warning. But nevertheless, in today's time, I think, um, and I bring that up not only as a joke, but also to show the fact that times have changed. I don't believe I could do that now. I don't think I could actually talk to an officer to calm um, he or she down because based on that incident with that army lieutenant, I'm like, if you didn't respect the person who's in the military active, you don't have no respect for a person who wears no uniform. Well, but Michael, this is, this, this is primarily my, my issue when it comes to policing in this country, when it comes to police brutality and, and things of that nature. I don't have a problem in quotation marks with police. Okay, and it's often presented that people have a problem with police. I've told you this before. I have family members of mine who are police officers. I don't have a problem with police. What I have a problem with is bad policing. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, I'll give you an example. January 6th, a mob of people descend on the Capitol. If there were ever a time for the Capitol Police to deploy incendiary devices or smoke bombs or crowd control stuff, it was that day. If there ever was a time for them to arrest as many people as they could have arrested, it was that day. If there ever was a time where you would have thought that more people would have been killed by the police, it would have been that day. But that didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because the police, and, and I'm going to say this, in the beginning, to their credit, they were trying to de-escalate the situation. OK, they didn't want the situation to get out of hand because they know if you push, people are going to push. If you're pulling, people are going to pull. So what you want to do is you want to calm the situation down. Like you said, you don't want to be yelling and screaming where where it's not penetrating. And mm -hmm. that's what they tried to do. So what black people want, what minorities want, what people who are looking for accountability from the police want is we want the same treatment that they gave people who were actually going into Congress looking for people to hang, okay? We wanna be treated like that. And if you treat us like that, we don't have a problem because not every situation requires force. If there's a protest going on, 
if you show up with billy clubs and pipes and 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 and, and tear gas that situation is going to escalate and there are people who are very good at de-escalating now to talk about Derek Chauvin for a moment when he's got his knee and 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 this is why Michael I have no sympathy whatsoever one of the jobs that I do besides being a lawyer is giving people communications advice okay the guy is in is in a trial for his life there's not an ounce of remorse coming mm-hmm. from him okay because if he went there and he 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 said hey listen this is what happened i didn't mean to kill the guy it just happened i was it, it, if he gave off that kind of energy it would be different but he gave off the same energy that he gave to the crowd when they basically were telling him you're killing this guy and he could not be bothered no, it showed in his facial expressions. It looked like he was even dumbfounded when he was convicted of all three charges. I mean, and again, why, why would you be dumbfounded? Because what you're charged with is one of the charges means it's not even that you had to intend to kill him. You just had to know if you lay on someone's neck and their face is in the concrete, you have to know that there's a substantial likelihood that you're going to do damage to. You have to know that. But that tells you where, 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 where the police, how police feel whenever they go to trial, because there is this misconception that cops are routinely convicted or that these people are routinely charged. That's not the case. This was an anomaly. It was good. It was a first step. But it's about holding people accountable. That's it. If a doctor accidentally kills you while you're on the table, look, everybody knows who Conrad Murray is because he was unfortunately the doctor who administered the deadly dose of propofol to Michael Jackson. Okay? He didn't mean to kill Michael Jackson, but no one had any problems with him being charged with Michael Jackson's death. He was held accountable. He was held accountable. Which brings me up to the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which was passed in the House um, recently, but also this took place since last year. And there are many changes which is going to bring about um, the end of racial and religious profiling, um, banning certain tactics like chokeholds or the no-knock warrants, um, limit military equipment on American streets, and so forth. There are so many. And, and, and one particular is holding the police officers accountable. And you alluded to this, Sam, in regards to that we hold doctors. That's why they have malpractice lawsuits. Um, but there are some, well, I can't say some, there is a party, a Republican party that is totally, you could say, against this. However, is finding some strides in the Senate with um, Senator Tim Scott. I don't know if you got you guys got a chance to uh, look at it, but he's really actually spearheading. He's the lone black person in the U.S. Senate and Republican Party, and he's trying to persuade them to support the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. Um, what do you make of this? Because this reform is long overdue and you do see some municipalities trying it out there was the mayor of 
Berkeley, oh, California, that he said now police officers are no longer pulling over motorists for expired tags or broken taillight because it leads to something. He is, they're trying it out and so far successful that they're trying the unarmed um, police officers. You've seen them when they, uh, they usually they're around um, doing uh, parades and so forth, like controlling traffic. They're the ones that are going to be pulling over individuals. We'll still have access to if they need to get law enforcement in there, um, but they're trying things out and it's being successful. Claudette, in your discussion with your son or when you were actively um, as borough council president, are you seeing those similar type of reforms being tried out in your local? No, it's not. Been. What I what I noticed here, um, we're, we're, we're acting as if because it didn't happen here, then it doesn't affect us. You know, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, they're they're implementing changes in how police are trained across, but not that um, since the last time that um, as of March, where we're saying, hey, this is, you know, it's happening here and we have to pay attention to these things. I think what the, what I'm getting is it's not real. It doesn't really affect us. We know about it, but it hasn't happened here. And at any moment, it can happen in, in, our, in our area, you know, and I think this... Um, for even um, Mr. Scott to be trying to convince the Republican Party to 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 get on board with this is is crazy, you know. I mean, like I mean, like they sh this shouldn't be something you have to convince someone to do. This should be something if you consider yourself a leader and you're a leader and you're nonpartisan and you're thinking about everyone as a whole as human beings. This should be something that should be in place and everyone should be jumping on board. In order to get it done, and, and Sam, I'm going to get your perspective. But you, you said something, Claudette, that made me think of uh, Congressman Lance Goodwin, Gooden from Texas. He recently voted for the George Floyd Police Act. He's a Republican, but then when he found out that he voted for it and it passed the House, um, he immediately said, "No, retract it. I didn't vote for that um, because." I consider the George Floyd Policing Act, and I already highlighted some of the things that it was planning to do once passed. He says, I would never vote for something that is anti-American. He's an America first um, congressman. So he feels that piece of legislation is not only anti-police, but it doesn't represent America's values. Now, get that. I, 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 and he retracted that. He retracted the vote because he didn't. He thought it was an it was an accident, and what just goes to say, Tim Scott is fighting against a whole group of politicians who don't feel it's um, or party that don't feel like it's necessary. And similar to what you said, Claudette, because it doesn't happen here, we don't see why these reforms need to be enacted here, and. It's like they're turning a blind eye. They don't believe. They believe there's only some bad cops, but not here. There's no systematic racism because it doesn't happen to me. And the George Floyd, I think, again, we all saw that. We Each person saw that that could be me. That could have been that cop on my neck. Anyway, I, I took it away from you, Sam, but please try. No, but, but, but think about it. Think about the fact that we're having a discussion because people in this country 
somehow think that if a police officer kneels on someone's neck, essentially chokes them to death, we live in a country where people think that if you say police shouldn't do that, you're anti-American. If you say police should actually have better ways of dealing with those situations, that you're anti-American. Tim Scott has a lot of problems. Not the least of it is that politically, Republicans have decided that they're going to not say, Republicans have decided that they're going to say the quiet parts out loud. They basically know that their base believes that there's a problem of black criminality, okay? And since there's a problem of black criminality, police have no, when police when police engage with black people, well, the likelihood is that black person's going to be a criminal. And so we need to defer to the police when it comes to those kinds of things. Now, they don't give that deferment to the police when it comes to white people. And we can obviously have a, a, a discussion about whether or not it's actually true that black people are more prone to crimes and that's why they have these outcomes with police. By the way, it's untrue. But we live in a country where people think that that's perfectly Fine. I was reading a statistic. It was interesting. And, 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 this, and Claudette, this is also the danger of thinking, well, it doesn't happen here. The police in this country actually kill a lot of people. Okay? They, 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 the police, we live in a pretty violent country, but I'm not talking about violence in which police officers are protecting themselves. They're in a gunfight, shootout. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the there are countries where the police killings are 20, okay? Now, obviously, we could pick a state, just pick a small state and say, for example, how many police officer shootings have they been in Delaware, okay? That's a small state. There are countries that have, in 10 years, they haven't had any police shooting. Part of it is a mindset. We have a mindset problem. And, and the mindset of police, unfortunately, is that it's an us versus them as opposed to people or community partners with us and we're trying to get through this thing. Because no one, no one that I know, and to be honest with you, no reasonable person thinks that a police officer should not draw his weapon if his life is in danger or her life is in danger. No one is saying that. The question, though, is what do we teach them about what constitutes danger? No one is saying that a police officer should let a suspect resist and hurt them. No one is saying that. But when a suspect stops resisting, when a suspect is compliant, when a suspect tells you, I have a medical emergency, what's wrong with us telling police, hey, take that into account? And by the way, lots of states have laws that say if a police officer sees a fellow police officer committing a crime, and assault is a crime, that they have a duty to intervene. Already, cops are supposed to do that. The three cops who are standing there watching this thing go down, I don't care if he's the senior officer. At some point, you have to understand this thing that's happening, it's not good. There's no way we're going to get away with this. There's no way to spin this. But they thought there was a way to spin it. And initially, if there was no video, people would have just been like, oh, yeah, this is another guy who who was resisting arrest. 
And oh, by the way, let's dig through his past or her past and find all the awful things they've ever done so that we can make the killing seem justified. Absolutely. I, I'm just thinking about this is an ongoing problem, an ongoing problem. You could watch. There was a a, a show. It's on. I got angry, but it was on um, Amazon Prime or Amazon Video. And it talked about a, a riot that took place in the 60s in London where the police came in and they it was a I guess he, he was an immigrant from Trinidad. And he started or opened a restaurant and the police did not like how successful he was becoming. They were intimidated. So they ransacked his restaurant and so forth like that. They they took um, patrons of that restaurant who were like maybe walk. They went there one night and they were walking by themselves and they beat them up. And this was so and it was based on a true story. And I'm like, and the movie took place around in the 60s. And I'm like, it's 2021, and we're still talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, when does it end? I mean, the George Floyd um, Policing Act, that's, that is a drop in the bucket. It's hoping to change things around. But I must admit, I don't think it will. I think there's a culture within the police department that they, when they see someone like me, again, you said it quite well, um, Sam, about we're not saying you can't do what you need to do to protect yourself. But you can't just view me each each time you see a person that looks like me um, and pull out your gun and start shooting. Well, there's, you know, Michael, there is there's this movement to educate people about implicit and explicit bias. OK, and we have it in all our lives. We there are things that we, we, we just and, and the thing is. Most Americans feel comfortable arguing against explicit bias, which is to say that if Derek Chauvin had used the racial epitaph on George Floyd while he was killing him, most people would say, wow, that's kind of evidence of, of, of some sort of racial bias, okay? But most of the bias doesn't work that way. The bias is implicit. The bias is you get called for an alleged $20 bill. And I've told you this story before. I was in Madrid. I bought something on the street and the slick vendor slipped me a fake euro, 20 euro. The next day I went to a store and I tried to give it to the person at the counter. And, and, and she laughed at me. She was like, you're a tourist. This is fake. Okay. <laughs> now I had no idea. It was, you know, I had no idea. I had been duped. I had no idea it was fake, but, but that's the genesis of the call. So the call happens because someone thinks, hey, this guy passed off uh, a counterfeit. Now, we don't know if he knew it was fake. We don't know anything about that. That's, that's what we know. And, and an hour later or whatever it is, he's dead. That doesn't make sense. And again, I, I, I have to keep saying this. It's not, I don't have a problem with policing. I understand that we need policing. But how do we police? How do we train police officers? How do we root out implicit bias? Because it's not just white cops who have implicit bias as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, it's not, it, it's, it's something in the culture that needs to change. And instead of, and I thought, I thought Chauvin, if there ever was a guy that police officers universally would disavow, 
or people who say they support the police would disavow. If there ever was a villain, Derek Chauvin is a villain. And yet, somehow, he still managed to have people supporting him. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I perplexing, perplexing. On, on, I'm gonna go on a break, but I wanna, I'm gonna send you a clip on, on a BBC News that was taken from where, the, the BBC anchor interviews a professor from Phoenix, where he talks about, and he's, he says there is no, there is no. Um, Black was it? he says there is no. I'm trying. I wish I could paraphrase. I'm a paraphrase because I was looking for the quote. Um, the, he doesn't see where there is a need for police reform because there is no systematic racism. Um, and I'm gonna send you that clip and let me get your your thoughts on that. We'll be right back. To another episode of Cuckoo for Politics, where we're talking about. All the issues surrounding the George Floyd and its impact of Ford regarding the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we were talking on various topics, and I want to bring you on to a subject that kind of resonates. As you know, there are people who don't think this is real. Claudette mentioned it earlier that there are people in her own borough council, like, why do we need to adopt the George Floyd Police Act, when the issues that took place in these other major cities don't necessarily apply here. Now, there's a, a certain disconnect with people, I, I feel. Former President Donald Trump's national security advisor, he's, his name is Robert O'Brien, he says there are some bad cops that are racist, but there is no systematic racism. And then I sent you guys a clip from BBC News where they are talking to Brandon Tandem, CEO of Officer Tandem. I'm going to play this brief clip so our other listeners will understand where we're coming from. And then I'll get your perspectives, starting with you, Claudette, and then followed up by Sam. A, a former police officer and founder CEO of the Officer Tandem. Thank you very much for coming on the program. So we're going to talk about lots of the wider issues just in a moment, but first of all, just wanted to get your reaction to the conviction. Well, first of all, I think most of what I heard on the broadcast all the way here is confusing to me. Um, I think we're living in the twilight zone. This conviction, in my personal opinion, did nothing for our country. I mean, people are, are living a lot. I mean, this was one police officer, one person in the community, they found him guilty. This was the swiftest justice I've ever seen in my life. The day after the film came out, he was arrested. Um, he was tried. Ten hours of deliberation, he was convicted. I, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure why people are acting like this. Mon this is monumental. Also, he did not get a fair trial, in my personal opinion. There was a lot of obstruction that happened. They paid the family out 27 million before the jury could be selected. I mean, they're going to have a case and appeal. So I, I don't know why people are celebrating, and I don't know why this is such a big focal point, other than people are making money off of the pain of people in our country. So you... So you've heard the clip, and to our audience, this took place on April 21st, right after the George Floyd um, hearing, and David... Is it David? I keep messing up. Mr. Sh Officer Chauvin, he was yeah. convicted. And um, this took me by surprise to hear this person talk about 
he doesn't believe there is systematic racism within law enforcement. Claudette, as a mom, as a mother of a police officer, as an elected official, um, as a black woman, what do you make of that um, clip? First of all, I'm going to ask, is that man for real? And is he living in the United States? Is he for real? I I mean, I was in disbelief. I actually thought I was watching actually a clip from Fox News, but they usually get these people come out of nowhere and they they speak of alternative um, facts. Um, But apparently he he believes that he doesn't think this was um, this is not a uh, it's not an issue. Wow. I I mean, my day-to-day operation as an elected official, and you figure that, you know, elected official, a military, retired sergeant major, I mean, all of these things and titles, that doesn't mean anything because it means one thing and one thing only, this is a black woman, and that's all they see. So for him to say there's no systemic racism, I mean, I would even tell you as an elected official what I've been addressed at, even as sitting up Mm. in the council, the names that I've been called, that people run away from and they don't want to hear it. Please don't repeat it, you know, because it's so bad. So for him to say there's no systemic racism and and he doesn't think that justice was served and he don't know why we're celebrating, we're taking, we're celebrating because we got finally a little tiny bit of justice. We got a little tiny bit of justice for all the many killings that we have seen. You know, we got a tiny bit of justice. You know, and my, and my son was a police officer. I still haven't had a conversation with him since the verdict. And I would like to know where he stands and to hear some of his views. Because at the end of the day, they're trained to do certain things. You know, but I also raised him as a black man with morals and values and how to respect human beings. And I would like to know where he stands or what side of the fence or how did he, you know, um, relate to all of this. So that's a conversation for me to have with him at a later date. Sam, what's your take? Well, Claudette was laughing, and I was laughing right along with Claudette. (laughs) I mean, first of all, where do I start? There is a movement in in right-wing political circles to find conservative black men and women, but don't find moderates or those, like you mentioned Tim Scott earlier. Don't find someone like Tim Scott who even though I disagree with him on most things, uh, he talks like a human being. He behaves like a gentleman, okay? They find the most bombastic, crazy people they can find who happen to be black and have them say things that if it were coming out of the mouth of a white person, we would accuse that person of racism or just not being aware of anything. But let me start off with the first thing. This guy is living in the twilight zone, Okay, he's living in the twilight zone. And and, and my problem is if they found and no offense intended, but I'm going to say something that might be offensive. If they found more intellectually honest people, then we could have better discussions. Okay, because first of all, Chauvin wasn't arrested right afterwards. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the first incident report about what happened didn't describe it as a killing. 
Okay, Mm -hmm. the family didn't get paid off. We have a criminal justice system. How could the family get paid off? It was a civil trial. The city settled with them because the city knew that what the police officer did was wrong. That had nothing to do with his criminal trial. And anyone who's a cop ought to know this. And then he goes on to talk about Chauvin didn't get a fair trial. (laughs) What kind of trial did George Floyd get? for allegedly passing a $20 counterfeit bill. What do you mean he didn't get a fair trial? He got a fair trial. People heard it. And when a jury comes back with a quick verdict, that means that they don't have any questions. (laughs) Okay, that means that they understand exactly what happened. And what the charges were, were what what he was convicted of, is exactly what he did. But trust me, Michael, you're going to find more people like this going on Fox News because it's a political it's a political situation as opposed to a policing situation, because all the arguments he's making are political. Of course, it's a monumental it's a monumental decision because police office, the conviction rate for police officers in these kinds of cases is less than one percent or whatever it is. So cops don't tend to get convicted. And over the course of the years, we've seen cops kill unarmed people and not get convicted. And we're not even going to talk about convicted, not even get charged. Yep. Similar to the, the, well, actually she was, she was fired. I believe that police officer who mistakenly took um, a gun versus a taser and shot. She resigned. resigned. Oh, but she was arrested too. Yes. Oh yes. And she was charged. And, and, and again, Dante, she was, she was charged with manslaughter. And, and now, what, what, what the police unions have done is frighten officers to think, well, that could be you if you made a reasonable mistake. Okay? Now, the problem is mistaking your gun for a taser for a person who's been on the force for 25 years is not a reasonable mistake. But let, let me assume that you made a mistake. You still killed somebody. Mm-hmm. So what are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to say, okay, you know what? You made a mistake. It's okay. You don't get charged with anything. We understand that. We don't do that for anybody else. And, and that's the thing. Police officers put their lives on the line. And because they put their lives on the line, we give them broad discretion to police and sometimes that involves taking someone else's life and what we want is that when police make that decision that there's accountability attached to that decision it can't just simply be the cop said he had to shoot him we're going to take the cop's word for it and and this is what i um it brings me back as far as um, I accidentally took my taser. I meant a gun, but I meant for my taser. I don't know if you recall Oscar Grant back in 2009 mm-hmm. in Oakland, mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael B. Jordan, he played that character in Fruitvale. Yeah. Um, and he said he mistakenly took his gun when he actually meant he yes. was actually doing his taser. So this goes to what type of training are they go- going through? And I was listening to um, NPR and they were they were interviewing uh, an officer from Israel, and she, you know, as you know, um, 
law enforcement, sometimes they do training in both host countries for special tactics and so forth. She came on to say that she was surprised when she came to America and talking to other fellow police officers. It's not that the training, not the initial training that disturbed her. It was after, because occasionally each officer has to go back to qualify, recertify as far as um, using the taser, as well as using a weapon, the, the gun, their pistol. And it doesn't seem, she says, if she was strike, what struck her was that the amount of hours for requalification or recertification was so was minute versus the training that she gets in Israel. And it's like a few hours here, but when she goes back home, they go through series of training. And not only that, they give them scenarios versus here. She says, it looks like all they do is give them target practice. They're well, not training them. No, no, but, but think about, this goes to my point about implicit and explicit racism. And it goes to my point about trying to teach police to de-escalate situations, okay? What was he doing at the moment that she shot him? Regardless of whether or not it had been a taser, if it had been a taser, would that have been okay for her to tase him at that point? What is it? What's the danger? What's going on? And it's and it's not just one cop. It's a couple of cops. Now, they can't use the George Floyd. He's a Superman on fentanyl um, Hulk kind of character on this kid. <laughs> they can't do that. And, and, and what do we hear afterwards? Oh, he had warrants. This is what I mean. It, 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 even if the person would have felt badly that they had done something, we end up victimizing the victim again by treating them as if they are a criminal. Because again, a warrant is not a conviction. You can, there are bench warrants issued for people all the time. A warrant is not a conviction. A warrant doesn't mean you committed a crime. And, but we treat these people like it. And, and, and here's my issue. If it had been a white kid, would that have been her response? And that's when you start tackling explicit and implicit racism. If you ask them the truth, because social media, while it has its faults, it's really good for tabulating these kinds of incidences. And I have seen viral video after viral video of white citizens with guns, white citizens cursing cops out, white citizens spitting on police officers. And nobody pulls out a taser, let alone a gun. Oh, the disparity is could not be so uh, so transparent with incidents like that. You remember, um, Philando Castile got pulled over again, moving violation, and uh, Minnesota um, killed him, and that was live. That was on social media. Remember, the girlfriend mm -hmm. was on Facebook Live and um, showing that the cop was uh, killing her boyfriend. And then the child was in the back, in the back mm -hmm. seat. I mean, without camcorders, without the videos, um, thank God for smartphones. I mean, we know these things happened years ago, decades ago, since the founding of this country. But with the advent of these technology, we are seeing, everyone is seeing this forth in their, in their faces in regards to the police brutality. Um, and this is where 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 we're going with this as far as we're holding these police accountable and i think we're saying we, we can't take it anymore we cannot take it anymore there's so much frustration right 
Claudette, yes, Sam. You, you, you know, um, when I when I think about that that female cop that that had made that mistake or supposedly made made that mistakes uh, between her weapon and her taser, and you've been in the force for how many years? Seventeen years, or twenty five years, or twenty years. Regardless, you know, there's a difference in once you pick that weapon up or you touch that that equipment, you know the difference. There's a difference in weight, there's a difference in, and if you can, if you couldn't tell the difference of your weapon and a taser, then you had no business on the force. And that means you have not been qualified when it was supposed to be weapons qualification, because you obviously don't know the weight of a weapon. So what has she been doing? Just been passed over? You know, I mean, you make, you, you go back to training. How were these people trained and are they continuing continuation in training? Because she couldn't tell the difference between a taser and a weapon. And every year, supposedly twice a year, you are, you are supposed to be qualifying with your weapon. You become good buddies, weight and everything. You know, so I, I failed to believe that that was a mistake. I mean, my friends try to convince me. I really honestly think that she had made a mistake. No, she didn't. It's killing, it's killing time. And, and you, you see statistically, too, there is more blacks that are being prone to gun violence, not gun violence, to being killed by law enforcement than um, than whites. And you made a point, which is interesting, too, is that you there is a um, there was a on social media. And I hate to use that as a source, but it had a link to, I, I believe, the Times magazine, where it showed how the care that is taken in making sure that the white assailant is not killed versus the black um, assailant. And it, it was interesting. This was right after the incident took place in Colorado. If you remember, the, the person went into the supermarket and started shooting at first before we understood his heritage. Um, they was reported that he was a white male and not Middle Eastern, but immediately once they got that out, they, they switched the subject <laughs> around. He's Middle Eastern, so that's the reason why we did that. I don't know. It's it's mind boggling. I mean, but 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 I hate to sound like a broken record, but let's assume that Claudette's friends were were right that this police officer made a mistake, and I'm not in a position to say that she didn't make a mistake. But let's just assume she made a mistake. My question is, if the victim were white would she have made the same mistake and when you start asking those questions then you get to implicit racism because i can say yeah okay sure i can believe that she didn't plan to kill him sure but what is it that when she saw a black assailant or a black potential criminal or a black suspect fleeing that her instinct was to reach for her gun. That, that there's something instinctual about that. And, and, and that is what's dangerous because people think that racism is just about the things that they can see, but it has a lot to do with the things that are ingrained in us, the subtle things that we don't know. And so that's still a problem. If she made a mistake, that's a problem in and of itself. OK, and I and 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 I think she has the training because it, like Claudette said, if you've been on the force that long, you must have the training. So 
it's not the training that's failing her in terms of knowing what's a gun and what's a taser. It's something else that's failing her that makes her see a black body as more dangerous than a white body, which requires her to reach for her gun. This is why those cops in, in D.C. Got, got, were, were overrun in part because they don't see white perpetrators in the same way or white potential perpetrators, or, or put it this way, they don't see white protesters in the same way that they see black protesters. They are more afraid. They feel that their lives are more in danger from black protesters than white protesters. And that's another form of implicit racism. And that's going to manifest itself in the outcomes when it comes to shootings. Again, anybody listening to this, I could give you my cousin's phone number. <laughs> He's a cop, okay? But there's no way I know, and Claudette talked about her son, but I know that the human being that my cousin is, there's no way that he would kneel on someone's back and prevent them from breathing for, for that long. There's just no way he would do that, okay? And here's the kicker. The police chief says, we don't train him that way. Mm. Detectives say, we don't train people that way. And EMT says, because police also get first aid training, you know you're not supposed to do that. Every, and that's, that's what my point was. If there ever was a cop that you could say, this is a bad cop, it's chosen. Yet and still, you have people who, who are pretending. I want to believe that most police officers wouldn't do that. That's the point. Most police officers that I know can say, yeah, that situation is pretty messed up. So, but you can't justify why is it that Chauvin felt justified in doing it? Because in his doing it, he did it with a disregard because people were like, yo, what are you doing? And he basically was like, buzz off. As people are telling him, we're recording you. I don't care. Why? What kind of mentality does that tell you? He feels like he's empowered to take the life of a person and he's justified regardless of the outcome. My goodness, there's so much that we could take away. And I know our conversation will continue. That's why I wanted to bring you both on to the podcast to discuss these issues. And there's so much more that we could go on with. Um, before we close, Claudette, did you have any closing comments on our discussion? And I, I think I want to continue on bringing um, bring this up again um, down the line. Hopefully not another shooting, but I'm afraid it's only um, it's only April. <laughs> what I would say is um, we have a movement going on and we have attention. We have, you know, people are awake and we need to continue. Um, we can't get too comfy because we have one verdict, one guilty verdict. You know, now that people are looking and they're paying attention, we need to continue. We need to let it be known that this is systemic, that this is happening in our country. And therefore, we continue this fight. This is not a, okay, now we're satisfied. No, like the, 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 the article I told you I read, we had a drop of water, now we need a flood. So we continue to move forward and continue to speak out when we see things like this happen. I mean, if we keep quiet then we're put, and put a lid on it, then we're saying that we're okay with the way we've been treated. We're okay with what's going on in our country. 
you know, but this is the time for us to stand up and say, no more. This is it. And we have a long road ahead of us because as you can see, what we, some of the things we dealt with 50 years ago or 30 years ago, we're still dealing with today. So we have a long way ahead of us and we have to continue this fight. Um, perfect way to end the segment. Um, thank you, Claudette. Thank you, Sam, for joining me on Cuckoo for Politics. Before I go into my usual closing commentary after each episode, I ask that you subscribe to Cuckoo for Politics on either Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, or wherever you listen to podcasts in order to get the latest episodes. You can also follow me on Instagram and on Facebook under the name Cuckoo for Politics. Feel free to comment and add other topics you would like to listen in future episodes. Now, Derek Chauvin not only violated police policy by continuing to use force against Mr. Floyd after he had stopped resisting and by failing to provide medical help once he became unresponsive by kneeling on George Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes, nine and a half minutes, but he violated the public trust. The video images were so horrific that in an official who was viewing the evidence actually thought her video feed had frozen because of the unchanging image on her screen. I still get angry each time I see the footage as that could have been me or any other person that looks like me. Derek Chauvin on that fateful day and in the court proceedings showed no remorse. He appeared more of a mob boss than a public servant. He actually appeared dumbfounded that he was found guilty. He was probably relying on a historical track record that rarely do police officers in America are prosecuted for killing in the course of their work. That record itself may have given him a false sense of impunity to behave in such a reckless manner with lives of people he was sworn to protect. Sweeping changes in policing are currently being explored and some are being implemented such as the required body cams. Democrats in the House and in the Senate, with the lone and only black Republican, Tim Scott, are pursuing to pass police reforms. Hopefully, the final bill will garner the public trust and change the culture within the police departments. But we've all seen this movie before, where new policy changes are made on paper, but for some odd reason takes a very long time for the police officers to put into practice such reforms. However, if nothing is done and the issue continues to be kicked down the road again, rest assured the likelihood of more protests by the American people across this land will continue. We as a society must continue to pressure elected officials and police departments to adopt and implement police and judicial reforms. The jury held Chauvin accountable. However, there still remains three more officers who are responsible for the murder of George Floyd. They too need to face justice. As former President Obama stated, that protest represents a genuine and legitimate frustration over decades-long failure to reform police practices. And he is right. I used to join me in the next conversation in a raw and cut episode with fellow lum Sam Jean as we continue our discussion on other implications of the verdict. 
This is Michael, host of Kuka for Politics. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, be well and be safe.